You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. For a worship service, and we're taking communion in a little while, so I had some thoughts before we do. But I wanted to begin just by thanking you. It is a very humbling experience doing what we just did. Somebody asked us last night, he's like, you must be tired. I was like, I feel like I just gave birth to a rhino. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, dude, if you've ever experienced that, you can relate, right? And uh, it is, it's exhausting. But it's exhausting in a good way, but it's one of those moments where you have to kind of go back. You know, this all happened for us about 10 years ago, so we have to kind of go back and revisit and relive all of it. There's part of us that just wants to forget and move on and pretend like it's a movie we saw and but that would discredit God. And that wouldn't give honor to God for what he's done. So when Reuben first called and asked us, and of course the first, my first inclination is always like, it's funny. I mean, it's like for me to do a marriage treat, it's just it's ironic and it's hilarious to me. But it's one of those moments too where my, if I can use what happened in our lives to help even one person, that's been our prayer. When we came here this week, just if one person can leave more hopeful, And drawing closer to God and taking that one step closer, then it's all worth it. So we want to thank you just for your generous hospitality, for your grace, and uh, just for accepting us and loving us. And we we love and respect your ministry very much, and uh, your staff is incredible. And uh, we've got a heart for the West Side. Of course, my wife was uh, spiritually born, and uh, we we love you guys a lot, and uh, we're jealous of your ocean and, and all that stuff, so... But we're grateful, very, very grateful. You know, and uh, yesterday we left off, of course, with uh, the, the story there with the boy and his estate kind of going home and, and what life must have been like after that for him. And, and really, I hope last night you got some time to dream together. Because again, I don't want you to focus on the mud. It's not about the mud. It's not about, well, where am I right now? And this is discouraging. And for some people, then they're instantly motivated, inspired, but others can get a little overwhelmed. Maybe had a bump last night even. We have begun a much-needed conversation. Pretending it's not there is not going to do you any justice, not going to help you at all. It's a much-needed conversation. Like I said, our hope was that this would be a weekend, not a vacation, but of transformation. And the takeaway from it, I want you to take a step. Just one step closer to God, one step closer to your dispel. That's it. And your step will look different than our step. And from other people in the room, and that's fine. And it may not be pretty, and it may not be the most graceful step, but it's a step. And then you take another one when you're ready, and then another one, and you'll get there. And all God wants is us to be home with him and and, and really enjoying the fullness of our walk with him, to be in relationship with him as closely as we can be, and to be as tight with our spouse and have the family that he's always wanted us to be. And that's the point of all this, and that's what I hope you take home with this, and this hope of, man, if they, if they can do it, we can do this. One step after another. And with that, with God just wanting us home, we should all be able to approach God with great confidence and assurance. Without insecurity, we should be able to go with him in peace and enjoy understanding who the Father is. But the reality is we have a lot of guilty souls in the room. I'm a guilty soul. I'm an accused soul. 
And as much as we hear these great things, we hear these hopeful things, it still can be hard for us to engage our own hearts there and believe that this is really true for me also. The lesson today is for the guilty soul, the accused soul. How strange would it have been for that boy to come back to his home, you know, after all that had happened and, and you know, have the celebration that night with his father and then the next day wake up insecure. But how easy it would have been for him to feel that way, especially with his older brother scowling at him, right? But to feel insecure or to walk around feeling guilty or when his dad goes to hug him, like kind of shrink back like he's about to get hit or something, like how weird would it be if that's how the story went? And that's not what his father would want either. And God doesn't want any of us to live in guilt. He doesn't want any of us to live accused lives. Feeling like, man, if, I'm, if I achieve this, then I will feel accepted by God. Or if I do this long enough. Maybe I made a choice last night, but, you know, if, if I can keep it up for two months, six months, eight months, then I will feel saved. Or I'll feel like God accepts me for who I am. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 8. I love that Revelation song. I don't know if you, my, my mind, the way it works, when I hear a song like that, I'm in church going like, this is the song I want played at my funeral. Which is kind of an odd thought to have. But I have a lot of odd thoughts. And that's, that's my song right there, Revelations. The Revelation song is awesome. The title of the lesson today is Jesus Stooped. John chapter 8, our verse we'll go to in just a moment. Angry voices yanked her out of bed. Get up, you harlot. What kind of woman do you think you are? Priest slammed open the bedroom door, threw back the window curtains, and pulled off the covers. Before she felt the warmth of the morning sun, she felt the heat of their scorn. Shame on you. Pathetic. Disgusting. She scarcely had time to cover her body before they marched her through the narrow streets. Dogs barked, roosters ran, women leaned out of their windows, mothers snatched children off the path, and merchants peered out the doors of their shops. Jerusalem became a jury and rendered its verdict with glares and crossed arms. And as if the bedroom raid and parade of shame were inadequate, the men thrust her into the middle of a morning Bible class. John 8 verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Imagine the scene. Jesus' followers on one side, I'm sure, standing there stunned. The prosecution on the other. Religious, pious, self-righteous, and hateful. Fully loaded with accusations. And then this woman, standing between them, hair messed up, makeup smeared, clinging to clothes, Exposed, vulnerable, and endangered. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. They yell it out. She was caught. She was caught in the moment of it, in the bed of it, 
in the arms, in the passion, in the moment of adultery, she was caught by the keepers of the law, the morality police themselves. They cry out in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? The woman had no escape. Deny the accusations? She was caught. Beg for mercy? From whom? From God? These men were his representatives. Standing there, squeezing stones and gritting their teeth and calling for her death. No one would speak up for her. But someone would stoop down for her. Verse 6. They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And we would expect Jesus to stand out. We would expect Jesus to, to get in their face, to, to preach. But the Bible says he bends down. He leans over. He descends lower than the crowd, lower than the Pharisees, even lower than the woman. The teacher of law were already looking down on the woman. They had to look even further down to see Christ. You know, Jesus often stoops. He stooped to wash his disciples' feet. He stooped to embrace children, to pull Peter out of the sea. He stooped to pray in the garden. He stooped before the Roman whipping post, and he stooped to carry his cross. He touches the dust. He writes in the dust. And I can't help but wonder, does he remembering that very first time when he touched dust to form man? Or was he thinking of the words of David's psalm in Psalm 103 when David says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. We're frail. We're weak. We're prone to doing earthly things. The accusers grow impatient with Jesus, and they press the attack in verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. So they keep on questioning him. They keep firing questions at him. So he stands up. But not to preach. But his words are very few. Not to address the crowd. Not to perform a miracle. He stands up for just a moment. And he stands on behalf of the woman, putting himself between her and this lynch mob. Continue reading. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. He stands up and just says a simple statement, and all of a sudden you hear the sound of rocks, empty thuds as they hit the ground. 
continues to write. And then in verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. He stands one last time and says, woman, where are your accusers? The voices of accusation bombard us every day, don't they? All day. Accusations like, you're not good enough. You failed again. You're never going to change. You'll never be like so-and-so. Voices of friends sometimes, coworkers, even family, maybe even your spouse. Voices in our own heads condemn us. Our internal monologue condemns us. Whose voice is it? Where's this voice coming from? I love the passage in Revelations 12 where, where, where God is describing this battle in heaven where the angels fight against Satan and his, you know, demonic angels. And it says that they win the battle. And then it says in verse 10 of Revelations 12, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Satan accuses us day and night, relentlessly. And he instills in us this guilt and this insecurity that's not from God. This isn't the guilt from the Holy Spirit that inspires us to repent and draw closer to God. This is a guilt made to crush us. This unending pressure. John 10.10 says this about Satan. It says Satan comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan's job with us, his goal for us, for our marriage retreat, for our marriages and our families is to steal your peace, to kill your joy, to destroy your faith. And he's recruited to others to proclaim all judgment, all condemnation, and no grace. Satan wants to repeat the scene with you that he does with this woman. He wants to drag you through the streets He wants to throw you in the middle of a crowd and megaphone your sin. This person has been accused of immorality, of cheating, of lying, of selfishness, of arrogance. He wants to megaphone it to the world. Everybody should know how we fall short. But he will not have the last word. He will not have the last word. Jesus has acted on your behalf. He stooped. He stooped for you. He stooped low enough to sleep in a manger. Low enough to work in a carpenter's shop. To sleep in a fishing boat, to rub shoulders of crooks and lepers. He stooped low enough to be spat upon, slapped, and nailed. He stooped low enough to be buried. Whereas Philippians 2 says, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself 
becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus stooped low enough to leave heaven, come to earth, and die for you. And then he stood up. He stood up from the still of death. He stood up from the cold earth. He stood up right in Satan's face, strong and tall. And he silenced the accusers. He does that for you. Listen to these verses. 1 John 2, 1. It says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Let that sink in. Right now, Jesus is defending you. Yeah, Satan accuses you day and night. Jesus defends you day and night. Satan fires away. Yeah, this guy's a loser, man. He can't change. Satan's like, no, that's not true. Jesus is like, man, that's not true at all. He's with me. He's good. He's a good one. Hebrews 10, verses 21 through 22 So since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The Bible says we should have a clear conscience because of Christ. Clean record, clean heart. Sins forgiven, past, today, tomorrow. Mistakes are erased. That's what Jesus does for us. Clear conscience. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Did you catch that? Completely saved. Not saved when we perform well enough. Not saved when we prove ourselves. Not saved when we reach you know, super Christian status and haven't done that sin in 12 years. Saved completely. Done. It says he lives to intercede for us. Like that's his passion. That's what he's doing right now. He loves it. He loves to intercede for us, to defend us, and to silence our accuser. Jesus' words of grace trump Satan's words of guilt. Satan says you're worthless. Jesus says you're worth dying for. Satan says, you're a lost cause. Jesus says, you're heaven bound. Satan says, you can't change. Jesus says, you're being transformed. Satan says, you're useless. Jesus says, you're a masterpiece. Romans 8.33 says this. Who can accuse the people God has chosen? No one. Because God is the one who makes them right. Who can say God's people are guilty? No one. Because Jesus Christ died, but he has also raised from the dead and now is on God's right side appealing to God for us. See, it boils down to a choice. Who are you going to listen to? You listen to your accuser, accuser or your advocate? Satan's voice or Jesus Christ? If you have peace in your life, if you feel joy, if you feel like confident before God, you feel like I can go to God, I feel assured, then you're listening to the right voice. But if you feel guilty all the time, if you feel accused all the time, 
you feel insecure or overwhelmed, you're listening to the wrong voice. It's not true. You're listening to a lie. To God, we are righteous. You may not feel righteous. That's kind of irrelevant. It's not a righteousness you create for yourself and like prove, hey, check out my righteousness. Look at my resume. (laughs) We're not righteous because of our acts. We're righteous because of Jesus' acts. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The Bible says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You're righteous. In the Chinese language, the character for righteousness has two symbols. One symbol on top of the other. The bottom symbol is a symbol for me. The top symbol is a symbol for a lamb. The lamb covering me is righteousness. When God looks down on us, when he looks at you, he doesn't see you clearly. Because Jesus Christ is covering you. He sees you through the filter of Jesus. So imagine that. You're not standing there like the woman exposed, clinging to clothes, vulnerable and endangered. When God looks at you, Jesus is standing right in front of you. And you're right behind him just kind of peeking over his shoulder. He sees Christ first. He sees you through the filter of Jesus. That's what righteousness is. We don't stand alone. You never stand alone. God doesn't see you alone anymore. And that's why we're righteous. Whereas Colossians 3.3 says, your life is now hidden with Christ. You are no longer alone. You have a defender, an advocate, a savior, and a Lord standing right in front of you. My name is Rick, and I've been accused of not measuring up, of disappointing. I've been accused of being weird, being immature, being lustful, immoral. I've been accused of having a weak character, of cheating, lying. I've been accused of being arrogant, self-consumed, self-reliant, cynical, critical, and self-righteous. I've been accused of being a disloyal friend, of using others to benefit myself. I've been accused of being greedy, materialistic, of being a drunk, a drug user. I've been accused of being unloving, a neglectful husband. I've been accused of being an inadequate father, of being ungrateful, selfish, rebellious, and faithless. And I've been accused of being a fake Christian. But Jesus found me not guilty. We're going to pray for communion. During our communion time, I want to encourage you to do the same. Take your accusations and you lay them before the one who silences them. Your defender and your advocate, Jesus Christ. When I'm done praying, a slideshow is going to go of some words of God. Because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen to God's voice. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to be here. We're humbled to be in your presence. 
Because, God, we know it's not us. We know there's nothing about us that earns anything we have. And, God, yet because of your great mercy and your great love that we will never fully understand, we are who we are. And, God, we stand righteous in your sight because Jesus Christ himself is interceding for us. He's defending us. He's advocating for us. And he's standing right in front of us. And, God, in those moments we feel accused, we feel guilty, we feel insecure. But in those moments, help us to realize we're not standing alone. We're not exposed. We're not vulnerable. That Jesus is always standing right in front of us. And when you see us, you see him first. And God, for that, we are so grateful. As we take communion today, I pray we remember the cross, remember Jesus, and Father, whatever we feel, whatever guilt we may feel, whatever accusations we've heard, even today, God, we will silence those and we'll embrace the truth of how much you love us and how much grace you extend. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus' life, for his death, for the hope we have in you, not just for heaven someday, but God, we have hope today to be anything we want to be in you. And God, that you can change anything about us. And I pray that motivates us to do all we can to walk with you as closely as we can. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.